thanks to Midriff's sponsor, Earthquaker Devices. Earthquaker Devices are continually identified as leaders in the music gear industry for their commitment to creating a better, more inclusive, diverse, and welcoming music culture. You've probably seen it yourself, right? They are intentional in this work, and they take the time to do it well, and you can see it in almost everything they do, right? From sponsoring podcasts like this one to their representation in social media and artists they endorse, right? And there's probably other things that you're, we're not even seeing, right, that are behind the scenes. And then there's their truly unique, creative, inspiring pedals. Did I mention they make pedals? They're made in by hand in Akron, Ohio by like a whole pile of really, really awesome folks. Their pedals are useful and easy to use tools for like any instrument as a guitar, bass, synth, drums, whatever. And they make pretty much every type of pedal under the sun. Whether you want an octave pedal, you want a distortion pedal, you want a fuzz, you want some modulation, they've got it for you, including a few super affordable pedals that you can grab for under $100, right? Amazing. If you hear folks sing their praises, there is a reason why. And I personally played Earthquaker pedals for over 10 years, and I'm proud to have them as sponsors on this podcast and to have been able to work with them as well. And you can learn more about Earthquaker Devices at EarthquakerDevices.com. Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I'm your host, Hillary Jones. So it's been a wacky month. I went to NAM, and then you, know, you probably heard about that in the last episode if you listened. And then last weekend, I went back in, uh, was back in LA for a friend's wedding, and then I had a few family days back there as well, which is super fun. And I'm also prepping for another work trip to London coming up pretty soon as well. I love traveling, but it it, it definitely feels like a little bit like whiplash every time. Um, yeah, it's just been you know. Just been something. Uh, I was also a guest on two podcasts, Song Sandwich, where I talk about noise rock and growing up in Fargo, North Dakota in the 90s, and the 40 Watt podcast, where I talk more about NAM and also a little bit more about my work. And, you know, both are fun. Check those out. They're linked in the show notes if you want to hear me talk some more. So there's that. Also, during this time, my new band, Hansy, also had its second show a couple of weeks back, and it's been just so much fun to be out playing again after three years of basically being bandless, and I, I really, really missed it. And we have a few shows coming up uh, in the future if you want to follow us on Instagram at HansyBansy. Yes, really, that's what it is. <laughs> Check it out. So as I've sort of been back out in the world and with Mother's Day last week, I've been thinking a lot about what it means to be a mother and a musician. And as someone who has like both of those identities, I'm guessing this is probably not a surprise to anyone listening to this podcast. But I would say like, as I was saying, like after reemerging into the world, basically since COVID started, going to shows, playing out again over the last month or so, uh, it's really occurred to me that as a mother playing music, I am in a distinct minority. And with that, and as I've sort of been thinking about this, I gave myself a thought experiment to come up with bands with the following parameters. So basically bands that are like not big bands. So they, they you know, don't have a lot of like touring support or anything like that. They're not maybe on a late major label. Bands that toured a couple times a year. So had more than one mom, not a super big band, but also had some, you know, did do some touring. And I could not think of a single one. Take a moment for yourself. 
See if you can come up with one. If you did, send me an email. I'd like to hear about it or a message, a DM. Uh, so I, I sent this out to my 1,700 closest friends on Facebook, for examples. And many of those folks, as you might imagine, are musicians. And between all of these folks from all over the world, they came up with exactly about six bands that met this criteria. And obviously the criteria is a little loosey-goosey, but that's kind of what I'm going with. And based on their criteria, I'll just, these are the bands that they came up with. It was Viz Queen, Our Native Daughters, Spires That in the Sunset Rise, Psychic TV, Waylon Jennings, and All Girl Summer Fun Band. So if you need to look folks up, that's that's who's there. Some folks are currently functioning, some aren't, but they, these are bands that had moms in them when they were doing some touring. So there you go. I then decided to do a Google search, kind of investigating this further, because probably someone came up with a list of this at some point, right? The answer is no. Uh, what I found was a lot of stuff about like bands you know, featuring moms came up with like a top 20 list of bands that moms like, or songs with mom in the title, or bands with mom in their name, and songs for moms for Mother's Day. I, I found just one mention of mom bands, quote unquote, from 2005. Why did the, why did an article come up from 2005? I don't know. Uh, where basically it was like mom bands, quote unquote, were treated like this weird sort of kitschy, like novelty, sort of like a faux punk version of a mom's night out. It was pretty ridiculous. So I don't know, like perhaps this is more common in scenes outside of my like sort of punk adjacent purview. I don't know, but based on my personal experience. And let me tell you, there's no research. So that's what we have to go with for now. That's not the case, right? There just aren't that many. And, you know, on the other hand, there's actually a whole documentary featuring punk dads, which I will say I really liked. If you are curious, I will uh, send a, add a link in the show notes for that as well. Dad rock is considered a genre of music for some folks and you know there's an instagram page called rigs of dad and you know obviously some of this is poking fun at dads but the fact that this these like you know stereotypes or this joke exists in the first place is proof that there are at least plenty of dads who do play music in the first place right so since musicians are customers right of music gear manufacturers and those in music retail and many of those folks are also their employees, I think it's important for companies to understand the dynamics and experiences of musical moms, potential moms, and families, right? So, you know, I would say, I would add that like, most of those who start their own companies in the industry are musicians, right? I think we recognize that. And as you know, it's arguable that there are comparatively fewer mom music gear industry business owners than employees or performers, right? So we'll start with uh, you know why there are so few moms in music and music gear, and the ways that and then we'll get into what the ways that individuals and companies can support moms to keep playing and pursuing roles in music and in the music gear industry more broadly. So, <laughs> as this coincides with Mother's Day, I'm going to focus on mothering here, and I want to be perfectly clear that trans moms are moms, and there are many folks you know, of a wide range of identities who engage in mothering or what could be considered mothering, right? And many people have like fraught relationships with their mothers or Mother's Day is otherwise hard for them. For example, their mother passed away, they're mourning a child lost in miscarriage or they're dealing with infertility issues, right? So I understand that that makes Mother's Day hard for a lot of people. 
it's also really important to acknowledge that there are additional barriers for moms uh, and non-binary parents of color, queer parents, single parents, low-income parents, and parents with disabilities all sorts of challenges that are are there as well the intersection of all of these identities and you know the layering of each kind of shifts and changes the experience of motherhood and musicianship and yeah that's important to keep in mind uh, when thinking about this topic broadly so all right overall i would say that you know there are a number of issues that lead to a lack of moms in in music so i i had addressed some of these in my piece from a while back about like how do abortion rights connect to music gear um, and i'll have a link to that in the show notes as well if you want to dig in uh to that but i do specifically talk here about the barriers for playing moms so uh and those in the industry so let's start with gendered expectations because i feel like that's sort of the major issue here, right? So <laughs> there are many folks who are, you know, probably already aware that when a heterosexual couple has a child, there are differing gender expectations for parents. That's probably not a surprise, right? This can be demonstrated in a bunch of ways, right? So Arlie Hochschild identified the concept of the second shift where mothers have an additional shift of home and childcare responsibilities when they come home that men do not have. Right. And, you know, this is improving, but there's still a large gap. And there was a lot of conversation about that during the pandemic in particular, which I think exacerbated all of this. Right. So there's these care responsibilities here that are also unpaid, leaving women with then like less free time to engage in whatever leisure pursuits they might have or hobbies like playing music. And, you know, I think most women would say that this isn't fair and the expectation that women are the primary caregivers and the emphasis on women's roles as mothers might mean then that they themselves experience additional guilt at the thought of leaving their child during those like really precious bedtime hours. Like if you're working, especially if you're working like a nine to five and, you know, you see your kid from like five to seven or five to eight or whatever, you have like two hours with your kid, right? Like, so that those are considered very important, a very important time frame for many parents. So even if their partner offered, they might choose to stay home due to the guilt of, you know, the expectation to be there, that, that to be a good mother means they need to spend as much time with their child as possible. Uh, while the alternate expectation then is that like fathers are congratulated for babysitting, which is also ridiculous, right? And, you know, of course, there are, you know, single parents without <laughs> nearby family or community support. That's going to be even harder for them. Like attending band practice might mean having to actually like hire a babysitter. And, you know, that might just be financially out of reach. That's it's a lot. So. I would say too that like for the folks who for like middle and upper class folks who might you know otherwise have more support or ability or time to continue playing music more so than than folks who are lower income <laughs> attachment parenting is sort of in vogue right now which is interesting as well and you know for those who aren't familiar attachment parenting at least initially encourages basically consistent physical touch with your babies and young children and you know that might involve like breastfeeding, baby wearing, co-sleeping, any of those things. So unless the child can like attend band practice on you, uh, you know, if the family wants to use this parenting style, being in a band is going to be tough to manage. So you can see how expectations are sort of affecting everyone in a slightly different way. So, you know, if a parent's band then gets to tour, the mother's band might not be able to tour as long or as frequently, you know, and thus they don't get picked up 
by a label, while the father's band who does is signed by a reputable label with support. I think you can see how this goes, right? So we're talking about like hobbyists. We're talking about like people in bands, you know, who are playing regularly, um, professionally. But then there's also like music workplaces where then like there's these gendered expectations of fathers and mothers that often differ. So like fathers are expected to continue working longer and less flexible hours while mothers are given more flexibility for doctor visits, childcare pickups, extracurriculars, things like that. And that's obviously also not fair and additionally contributed problem and also furthering inequities through like the gender pay gap. So let's talk about the gender pay gap. The gender pay gap, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you've probably heard about it at this point. Um, <laughs> there's plenty of research on it. It does exist. But what you might not know is that the gender pay gap is predominantly a racial pay gap combined with a gendered parenting pay gap, right? So if you look at the numbers, like usually people say, well, it's like 82 cents for a woman to a white man's dollar, right? And that is significantly lower for, um, for example, like Latina women, it's like 56 cents to a white man's dollar, winches, bonkers, bananas. So you can see how that plays out. But this gap in particular is very strong and really shows up age-wise during those eight that you know the age when people start to uh, have children and that is so, so in many ways this shows up as a parenting pay gap so the main issue here is that it's connected back to gendered expectations in heterosexual relationships right when men become parents their earnings increase but when women become parents their earnings decrease so while you know there are real challenges for fathers in music and in music your workplaces if they are earning more money and have additional opportunities while their wives are paid less and given fewer opportunities combined with the high cost of childcare, there's often a financial decision that the father's career will take precedent over the mother's career. And that happens like whether you're playing music or you're playing, you know, whether you're working in a um, more traditional workplace. So. Uh, I would add too that there's phenomenons that I'm not going to get into, but I will link to in the blog by the show notes, concepts like the glass ceiling, where people have a hard time getting promoted, uh, glass escalator, where men in uh, women-centric jobs or like jobs that are predominantly um, women, they, they get promoted, glass cliff, where women are put into positions where, um, you know, they're in leadership, but it's a companies that are failing, uh, obviously sexual harassment, exclusionary behaviors, and the feminization of work, which is basically when um, when more women go into a particular field, the actual um, salary decreases. Um, all of those things exacerbate all, any barriers mothers might experience if they are then able to maintain a career trajectory. So in music this might look like fathers getting a build higher on festival lineups and receiving like higher guarantees for their performances right in manufacturing or retail fathers might be able to work more hours get promoted to manager while mothers are working fewer hours and may be forced to remain in part-time roles all right so i want to talk now a little bit about when people start playing and the amount of time they're able to commit to playing. So think for yourself, like when did you start playing your instrument? And and think about that and how much time you were able to devote to it at certain times. 
And I would say that there's, you know, little research on this topic. Once again, anecdotally, though, if playing outside of a school band context, girls tend to start playing their instrument later than boys. That's pretty consistent. Um, girls oftentimes have additional responsibilities at home, like taking care of younger siblings, for example, or they might just not be encouraged to play an instrument in general. And part of this, I would say, is, uh, you know, for rock instruments is due to the gendering of the instruments. So those rock instruments, such as guitar or drums, are seen as instruments for boys. Whereas, like, when women take up an instrument, they're more likely, it's more likely to be like, or, you know, when they're going to pick up that instrument, like a guitar or drums, for example, it's more likely to be when they are older and it's sort of like independent outside of like parental or peer influence when they're like, I'm going to do this because I want to do this and I don't care what my parents say or my friends say, right? And this is reinforced by, you know, you can see that in the presence of like rock camps for adult cisgender women, trans and non-binary participants. And many adult rock campers note that, you know, they were not encouraged to start playing when they were younger, um, as I've been mentioning, with, you know, many playing their instruments at camp for the very first time. And, you know, this can, I think, also lead to the perception of lower skill level than cis men because they haven't been playing for as long, whether or not that's true. And alternately, if it is perceived that music is like a father's like thing, quote unquote, it's like their main hobby, while a mother might have spent less time playing, it may be seen as like more important for him to maintain than for her. And so that time gets allotted to him, which, you know, there's only so much time and coverage that needs to be happening for childcare, right? So, you know, obviously, there the numbers of women picking up an instrument might be changing. But if women aren't encouraged to start playing at the same rate, or face more challenges in picking up a non-gender stereotypical instrument, it is also increasingly likely that women might face additional challenges to keep playing in motherhood as well, right? So when looking to the music gear industry, if women pick up an instrument later or are more likely to quit, the likelihood that they'll be able to gain the hard or like technical music gear, hard quote unquote, or technical music gear skills that manufacturers or retailers look for is low. So like they're not going to be spent, if they're not playing an instrument, they're probably not going to be like learning to build pedals or solder or, you know, like fix their instrument or whatever. And, you know, like let alone being perceived that they have like skills or finances to start their own company. If that's something they want to do, they might have less access, right? And this is despite the fact that those skills can be more easily learned than the, like, in many cases, more important, quote unquote, soft and experiential skills that many women already have, right? Those are things that are harder, actually, to train in some cases. So something to think about when doing hiring. All right, so let's talk about how you can support moms. So for like individual cis men in heterosexual relationships, if your partner plays music or wants to, take it seriously, right? Like have a conversation about how you share home and care labor. Make a chart if you need to. <laughs> like there are lots of ways that you can track this, right? And try and make it as fair as possible if someone feels like maybe it's not. And if you have an infant or toddler who still breastfeeds, come up with a schedule to break up child care that takes that time into account. And obviously, <laughs> I think charting it can be helpful because the ways that's perceived might 
feel different for everyone. And I would say, of course, like, you know, it's going to look once again different for everyone, especially for folks, you know, who earn their living making music versus those who are playing as a hobby. But either way, both partners should feel mutually supported to express themselves creatively. And if you are a friend or relative of a single mom musician, you know, working with some friends to rotate babysitting to cover during her band practice and shows could be super, super helpful. And I wrote more specifically about supporting customers who are parents in retail in a previous blog article, and I talked about it in a previous post uh, or previous episode. But I would say, you know, clearly moms who are touring musicians are oftentimes existing outside of traditional workplaces. So uh, it's important that their families, that venues, booking agents, management, labels, all of those create a community of support for their continued musical career. So all a couple of different contexts, right? I would say, you know, if you're luckily, if you're running a, a workplace in the music gear industry, there are a plethora of helpful policies and expectations that you can use to create a better workplace for moms and future moms, right? So ample and flexible, preferably paid, parental or family leave for both parents. Both parents is really key because that way you have that additional support and people have the flexibility to go back to work if they want to. Um, hopefully fathers in the relationship feel like they can take that time as well. And that's really important too. And uh, if you need links there, I have some links for state laws, which are notoriously bad. Uh, so, you know, that's like a, the low end, right? You want to try and do better if you can. Also, clarity and modeling for management that family comes first, right? If you, as a manager, are taking time off to take your kid to like, you know, softball practice or whatever, like that's going to model that that's an acceptable thing to do and that that's important for you to be there for that. So saying it out loud, but then actually doing it is really important. Also, a focus generally on reaching goals, right, rather than just time on the clock. So like being less attentive to like how much time is there and more like did you achieve what you were supposed to achieve, um, depending on this, you know, the, the pay structure can be really useful. Following lactation laws, like there are federal and U.S. lactation laws uh, that are super important to follow, um, are not necessarily relevant for super, super small businesses, but if you can you know, help support that, that's great too. Basically, it just means that you need to provide a, a space that is not a bathroom for people to pump um, and they should have time to do it every day. Flexible and hybrid work is really useful where possible. I know that's not possible everywhere, but if you can, that's great. Clear community agreements, harassment and DEI training and well-enforced related policies, right? So not just like doing the training, having the policies and then actually responding when someone's reporting something in a way that people don't feel like they're going to be retaliated against is super, super important. Pay transparency. Uh, so people can have an expectation of what people are earning and that helps to decrease uh, any gender pay differences. And also including that in job listings is really helpful because then people are not spending all this extra time applying for jobs that maybe are not something that they wanna be applying for because it, it can take a lot of time. Also, solid healthcare benefits, right? Uh, and that would include reproductive healthcare supports. And if you can do it, things like IVF would be great. And that's not everything. 
Uh, there, you know, and if you're you aren't already doing these things, I know that this list can be daunting, but I would say pick like one to two things to focus on at first, and just come up with a plan to get there. Like you might not be able to do it right away, but maybe you can, you know, add part of it now and part of it next year. However, you can kind of like ramp up to start doing these things. Do it. And I would say on the whole, if you think supporting moms as musicians is important, it will require some intentionality, some time, and potentially money. But the return that you receive from moms will be great, right? They will get things done and add to the diversity of perspectives in your workplace, which cannot be understated, right? And overall, like music is powerful. Everyone should be able to continue to play music through their lives. And I'll include links to all those relevant articles I mentioned in the episode in the show notes if you are interested. Thanks so much for listening and definitely reach out with any questions, ideas, or feedback anytime. I love to hear it. 